following teaching is from the Warrior's Heart Bible Study for Men. You can find us on the web at warriorsheart.org. We hope you have a great day. Yeah, last week we sort of kicked off and we, we got to hear a story, a real-life story from a real-life man. So, uh, Jacob, thank you very much for, for sharing. So this week we're doing the prelude, the intro, and if you all have your books, you can open that up. There are notes in the middle. Our notes are more open-ended notes for you all. Just what is God telling you right here, right now? And if you haven't started just your day praying that way, Let's take one moment right now just to say, Lord God, hear my speak to me. Um, I've started doing that since we've been going through this book. Just, God, I want you to speak to me. Here I am, speak to me. Before I read the Bible, here I am, speak to me. Before I get out of the bed, this is your day, Lord. I want to hear from you today. I want you to speak to me. And so let's just, where you are right now, let's just ask God to speak to you as we go through this and as we talk with each other. And Father God, we are here today. We're not here by chance. We are loved by you. We have been pursued by you. In faith, Lord, we have been adopted by you. So why would we not think that you would not want to speak to us? So Lord, speak today. Give us the ears to hear. Give us the heart to receive, whatever it is. And God, give us the courage to obey you. Because really, you're the one that has the word of life. You're the one that knows us best. We love you, Jesus. It's in Christ's name. Amen. Well, from the very beginning of the Bible, there is, as creation unfolds, creation gets, in a sense, greater and greater and greater, and it moves to this pinnacle, and this pinnacle is called the Imago Dei. This pinnacle is called humanity, that God speaks and creates, and He goes through, and on that, on that sixth day, you know, we get created, and we're different. We're in His image, which means we can have a relationship that's unique and we see in Genesis 3 that God walks in the garden. And Adam notices, oh, that's the sound of God walking in the garden. And Eve notices, that's the sound of God walking in the garden. The implication was they walked with God. God made them early on to walk with them. Uh, in, in the book there, page, uh, page X, Roman numeral 10, on the introduction, I love this quote. It says, the good news is you can't figure out life like that. And let me give you a little, uh, the background is, we love to know why things happen the way they happen. We love to know the right way to pray, the right way to read the Bible, the right way to make a decision. And if we do all the right things, you know, things are all going to be good, right? But, but here, Eldridge is challenging. It says, the good news is you can't figure out life like that. You can't possibly master enough principles and disciplines to ensure that your life works out. You weren't meant to, and God won't let you. For he knows that if we succeed without him, he will be infinitely further from us. We will come to believe terrible things about the universe. Things like, I can make it on my own, and if only I try harder, I can succeed. That whole approach to life, trying to figure it out, beat the odds, get on top of your game, it is utterly godless, meaning entirely without God. He is nowhere in those discussions. And the reality is, is that life was never meant to be fully satisfactory to us. So if we're married, our wife won't be perfect. If we're not married, the girl we're dating won't be perfect. If we have a job, 
that job won't be perfect. If we don't have a job, unemployment is not perfect. It is, it is not meant to satisfy that, that in a very real sense, God alone satisfies. And in the year 2000, I was coaching cross country. I had been running for the vast majority of my life. And I had three rear-end collisions from basically 2000 and a half to about 2002. And in that, over 29 years of running ended. So I'm running at Memorial Park with my cross-country team. And it's like a sniper shot me in the back. And I go down. The team's like, coach, 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 you okay? And I'm like, oh, my. Yeah, it's like, my back, my back, my back. Well, I didn't know that in those, in those, in those accidents, that started a degeneration in, in my back, L2, L4. I've tried physical therapy, chiropractic care, pharmaceuticals. I'm not doing the surgery because it's a 50-50 proposition. It's not worth it because I can walk around. It's, it's uncomfortable, but it's not debilitating, right? But I lost that, and, and, and that entered a journey for me of asking God, why? I tried everything I could do, and I can't fix the problem. And then I got mad in 2006. I'm on staff here. 2007, I'm on staff here, and I'm like, okay, God, this is how I handled pornography, lust, anger, and frustration. I would go out and I would run for long periods of time. You took that away. So what are you going to put in the place of that? Now I'm struggling again with pornography, lust, anger, and frustration. And what I began to discover was that God actually allowed that to happen in my life, that he would begin to teach me and make me learn to walk with him. Not run from sin, walk with him, which is preferable. Running was away from God anyway. It, it was an Eric Reed medication for. In this, this whole idea here, to conclude it, I want to zoom back in that we were never meant to figure life out alone, to fight sin alone, to make our marriage great alone. God will not allow that to happen. We still desire to control it, but we simply, simply can't. Just as Eric was saying, all of a sudden life happens to you. Where do you go? You know, why did Jesus say in John 16, hey, boys, I'm leaving you, but I'm going to send something to you, which is even better. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. That Holy Spirit's going to live in your heart and is going to be your guide. You know, uh, Jacob, who spoke last week, is going to be going on a road trip starting tomorrow. And uh, he, he and I were talking, praying earlier this week about going somewhere, a guide. What is our greatest need in our lives? Am I here alone? Am, am, I, am I really expected to do life as God wants me to do on my own? Can I really do it? Can I pull it off? Magically make it happen? Or do I have a greater need, which is, let you bring this quote up. Whatever our situation in life, butcher, baker, candlestick maker, our deepest and most pressing need is to learn to walk with God, to hear his voice. God, what do you want to say to me about this thing? To follow him intimately. Not just, not just the judge or the teacher crying out to the back of the room to shut up, but an intimate. Somebody that whispers in your ear, and it's personal, intimate. It's just tailored for you. It is the most essential turn of events that could ever take place in the life of any human being, for it brings us back to the source of life. Isn't that what, it, in, in some ways, 
God so made our world dependent on himself, right? I mean, here we are living in the great state of Texas, rugged individual, we'll do, we'll do it ourselves. But God actually thwarts that. He comes against it and says, no, Steve, you're going to need to walk with me. Across this path of life, you're going to have to learn to walk with me. Everything else we long for can then flow from this union. If I'm near to God, everything changes. There's two sides of this, though. There's my journey, and then really, didn't God put others on this journey with us? So just as much, it's a shared journey. How much more valuable might this be if we could share with another for where two or three are gathered together, there I am in, my, in your midst. Jesus says in John 15, I call you friends. Jesus could have done life on his own, didn't he? He could have. What did he do? He invited others to go with him, which for most of us is, is really challenging. I, let me do life. God, let me do life on my own. No, Steve, I want you to invite others to go with you. 20 years ago, guys, which city is that geography lesson? St. Louis. Right. <laughs> it worked. See, it worked. St. Louis. 20 years ago, I was invited to be on a prayer team at a prayer conference in St. Louis. There were about 750 people from all over the nation, if not the entire world. And there was a, a team from Houston that I was part of a ministry, and we were invited to pray for people during lunches, during breaks, things like that. Anyway, there were maybe 15 of us and 700 people in the audience. It was a three-day event. Wednesday comes around, and I'd never done this before. And the only, only caveat, if anybody's gone forward here at our church at another, usually you say, uh, excuse me, uh, how can I pray for you? And they tell you. The condition here was, they weren't allowed to tell you. Oh, man. You hear me? So, day one, a woman, Carol, steps up. Um, I, I remember her a little bit. She had a badge on. She was from Michigan. She had red hair. And I remember, uh, uh, um, Lord, do you have anything to say to Carol? She hadn't told me a thing about her. All I saw was her name tag. And I said, um, Carol, I'm sorry, I don't really, I don't have anything that I sense God wants to share with you right now. And she walked away. And I turned my tail around and think, I'm a loser. I can't hear from God. Here I am in a prayer conference. I was up most of that night, Wednesday night, Thursday morning. God, I've got to hear from you. There's 700 people here. What, what do you, I, Lord, help me. I came with a hungry ear the next morning to hear from God. Well, just like you might expect, I'm standing there. I'm feeling like an island. Carol comes back. You know, once pain, twice pain. Second time, she steps up. Steve, um, would you pray for me again? Guys, it was a turning point in my life. As I remember, God very clearly spoke to me on Carol's behalf. Carol, 
when you were nine years old, did your mother call you this pet name? And when you were 11, did your dad call you this pet name? It was so specific, like I could know whatever your middle name is, and I didn't know, I could say David something Bacchus. It was so specific that the only one that, I didn't know it, she crumpled to the ground in tears. Just overwhelmed. And I helped her up. Carol was 55-ish, let's just say that. And my comment to her was, Carol, this is a clear sign that God knows who you are today and he knew you 40 years ago. And he let us enjoy it together. On page 13, it says you'll notice that there aren't any chapters in this book. Have you all noticed that? Is that frustrating? Okay, it doesn't frustrate Steve at all, man. It, it digs into me. I'm like the give me the bullet points and give me the five easy methods of having a perfect life and all that stuff. Uh, hey, life doesn't come to us that way, though. In neatly organized sections with helpful subheadings and footnotes, we don't get an outline for each new day with summary points at bedtime. Life comes to us in a series of stories over the course of time. There is something to be learned in every story. I'm going to give you two quick snapshots of, of that transition in my life. The first is, growing up, I, I really believed that if I gave my heart to Christ and I avoided the big sins, just the big sins, that my life would just go swimmingly well. It would be awesome. Sort of like railroad tracks for a train. You put it on in D.C. and that thing goes all the way up to New York to New Jersey and you just get there automatically because you got track one, track two, and you're a train, you're just going to run on that track. I get married and I even think, okay, Christian guy saved myself virginity till I got married. Married a Christian lady, she saved herself. We're both Christian people. We get married. There's going to be like unicorns and rainbows in the bedroom, in the kitchen, in the backyard. It's going to be awesome. I mean, what could conceivably derail that train? I mean, that is, we did it exactly the right way. It's, it's absolutely perfect. And then God began to show me a different picture of life that life was like a three-masted ship at sea, that you may, you may look on a, on a map and take a sextant and take readings and take soundings and put a heading in, but as soon as you do that, storms come up, currents change, wind changes, and that that actually is beyond my control. It's all beyond my control. I cannot control it. So that led me to ask a simple question, is there something more? I mean, what is our hope if life can't be mastered, right? What's our hope? What's my hope that I can't make a perfect marriage? I waited until I was 30, you know? I waited. I mean, I felt like I did such a great job. I should get this bonus star in heaven or something, you know? No, but, but I waited. But you know what? I've sat, down with, I've sat down with hundreds of men who've had the exact same question, thought, and experience. And so let me just propose to you that I think the only thing really that makes sense of it all is that we just need to learn to walk with God. We can't figure life out, but He wants to walk with us through it. And that, that ultimately, a deeper walk with God is available, and we can actually hear His voice. Steve has been championing that since I've known him, and it goes back before I ever knew him. And I think today we're, we're advocating that for each one of us.
So around your tables right now, there could be a circumstance or a situation you feel, hey, I really, really do need some extra direction and counsel from God. I need to hear from God in that area, whatever that is. Y'all, y'all share at your tables what you're comfortable sharing, and, uh, and we'll get back to this in just a few minutes. Guys, I'm going to jump in here. Hope you had a good first discussion of that. We'll have some more in a little bit. In the chapter, as uh, John Eldridge goes into this, in the second part, Prelude, he opens the scene of, of Christmas. And uh, who's seen uh, National Lampoon Christmas Vacation? Oh, man. I don't know about you. When I was reading this, we're not showing it was like, a scene, are we? It's a... <laughs> he's in Colorado. Uh, yeah, he's taking the family out. My gosh, we're gonna go get that tree. He's gonna go out there. He's Clark Griswold, as as we know. And and it just sort of brought. I mean, I my son and I have it every Christmas. It's sort of the kickoff of Christmas. We put the Christmas tree up on that day, and and it just when he uses it, it just cracked me up. And. Isn't the question here, and let's read this together. But no, we had to do things our, our way. way. But no, we had to do things our way. So God had given uh, John and his wife, okay, John, uh, good day for Christmas is this. Well, all of a sudden he got some pushback from his kids. Well, they wanted to do something else. And so what did he do? Well, okay, well, you know, pressure... No reason to do it there. It, it doesn't fit. We'll do it another way. I don't know about you. Is that really sort of that, that kernel of life is just when God speaks to us about something? And it is God speaking to us about, no, I don't, that's not the right timing for you. Hmm. How many of us would just say, turn on the powerboat, turn on the Suburban, we're going to do it our way. I'm going to go hunting when I want to go hunting. I'm going to go fishing when I want to go fishing. I'm going to go shopping with mom at the time she wants to go shopping. And I'm going to go look for my tree at the time I want to do it. So to me, that's what we have to fight really passionately is, huh, God, is there, is there another way? Is there possibly another way other than my way here? And I think a lot of that gets rooted in our assumptions and, and as I shared earlier, you know, I, I'd had that railroad track vision of life, and it's more of a nautical motif that I'm trying to operate out of. And I find that, that when, I, when I kept this idea of because we believe in God and because He's love, He's going to give us a happy life like A plus B equals C, that I felt like God was holding out on me. I felt like God was doing bad things to me because I held an assumption that was not biblical at all. Because he loves me, he chastens me. It is, it is not. It, he loves me more than giving me everything I want in the same way I love my kids more than being at their every beck and call. Now, I'm also not going to let them die, right? At least I don't want to let them die. So there is a, an assumption I want us to think about swapping out is to say conversational walk with God every day is available. And the assumption I have is that the reason that I can't control it all is because he really does want that with me every day. And if that's my assumption, then the traffic jam, the health issue, strife with my wife or conflict with my 16-year-old daughter is really an opportunity for me to share more with him and hear more from him than it is the happiness formula being broken. And so if I can switch my formula from happiness formula 
the conversation with my father that loves me and is with me formula. And every problem gives me another time to talk with him and listen to him. That if I care more about that, I think that really is this beautiful, beautiful thing that he's given us. Talking about walking with God, I don't know about you, that, that's not, at least from what I can tell, that's not a, a common vocabulary that we talk about in churches. We might in, personally, maybe, you know, with your wife, you're going to ask her intimate questions about her life, or, or you better, <laughs> you better ask her things that are deep in her heart. And the more you ask her, the more she's going to share. And the more she shares, the more alive she is, and the more she enjoys that time with you. So it, in some ways, it, it's the same thing. But let's sort of rewind for a minute and say, is it possible that God just isn't, you know, he's not just uh, the commissioner of the world, and he's running the world, and, he, and he's a scientist, and he's a judge, and he's all these very formula-driven things. Or is it possible that he knows you and me more than we think he does? Hmm. I just uh, pulled out three scriptures here, all from Psalm 139. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and you know me. I was thinking uh, when God was counting, he says, uh, God knows the number of your hairs on your head. And I was thinking, God, I'm going to make it easy for you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Psalm 139.4. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. This is key, guys. Is, is God in my world? I mean, isn't that question, isn't that, isn't that even an embarrassing, even an astounding question? Does God know what I'm going through? In the last scripture, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Does God know me? And so if I walk with him, could he be of any value? Could he be helpful? God wants to be intimate with us. Do we want the same with him is the question. And so the, it, it, it brings up the, the real issue is if, if I'm supposed to live on this earth and walk with God as I do, am I going to have to change the way I think about life? One is, am I really, most of the men that I, I think that I'm in friendship with, including each of you guys and you with me, you know, the bottom line is that below the surface is, I'm really here all alone. Isn't that the thing that I, you fight is, I, I'm, you know, when it really comes down to it, I'm alone. I got I to gotta do this on my own. Nobody's really going to come along and help. I got to live life as an island liver. <laughs> island liver. That didn't sound very good, did it? A picture of Billy Ocean from 1985, yeah, Caribbean was, Queen song. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, and you're there, and you're, okay, exactly. maybe not. Don't picture he, that. He's coming that. So, next slide there. So, Eldridge puts up in page 10 of uh, Prelude, intimacy with God is the purpose of our lives. It's why God created us. That's a big, that's a big statement, isn't it? Is, it? is it possible that he just didn't, he didn't just make us to be rule followers? He didn't just make us <laughs> arbitrarily and say, okay, you, you guys are on your own. Good luck. I'll see you in heaven 
when the, when the day's done. He's saying, no, I'm looking to you to walk with you today in the highs and the lows of life. And he said, as Jesus said, and I'll be with you. <laughs> anyway, it was, it was Christmas time, 2007, 2008, and my son Paul, uh, who comes here, he's, he's a serious golfer. I mean, he, I don't know if, they, if he went for a blood test, if it would come out with a yeah, scorecard or something like that. But he loves golf. So anyway, he forwards something to me on the Internet, and he says, hey, Dad, there's a sweepstakes to attend the 2008 U.S. Open in San Diego. Dad, you ought to, you ought to submit. So he had already put his name in the hat, and as we were sitting on the couch, it was a, it was a, I don't really know this reaction, but as he said it, I just started to cry. I started to cry. Because when he said San Diego and the U.S. Open, that was such a big thing so far out there. It was going to be in June, so six months later. It's so connected with my heart. What, what, what do you mean? the idea that I might be able to go to San Diego to this golf course with my son to enjoy it together. Wow. Overwhelm me. It just, it just floated my boat. Two or, three, two or three weeks later, I checked my home phone. Does anybody know what a, what do they call now? Landline. Landline. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> This has been, this, this study is sponsored by voiceoverip.com. Exactly. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for putting the words. Whatever that little box was that was, had dust in it, anyway, you pushed the button and it, and it talked back to you. And it didn't just ask you for uh, donations to a political thing or, you know, or spam you. But anyway, I, I check it and it was a company from Michigan. Uh, Mr. Disrins, um, your name was selected as part of this, and we need to talk with you about the U.S. Open. What? And I listened to it two or three times, and I'm thinking, scam. <laughs> Eventually, I, they gave me the, the number. It was a Michigan number. I looked on the Internet to the sweepstakes of the U.S. <laughs> Open, and it was a Michigan company that was overseeing it. Oh. And I called them. First thing they asked me, Mr. Disrance, uh, I'm going to send you some forms, and I need you to give me your Social Security number. Uh. I looked a They sent me the form. It was the same form that was on the website that I had entered the contest. And I said, oh, crud. I'm going to have to give out my Social Security number. And I did. And they wrote back and said, Mr. Disrance, there's one winner. You're the one winner out of 56,704 entries. <laughs> and here's the thing, guys, that was shocking to me. And this is, to me, just, it, it, it's just, Steve or Mr. Disrance, you were not the first one called. You were number seven. Six people prior didn't take, didn't follow up. And so Paul and I flew to San Diego <laughs> at their money, put up in their hotel tickets to this golf tournament, and just so you know, who's the, uh, this is a golf question, all you sports fans, 2008 was the last 
championship of which golfer? That's when he had a bad knee. knee. He, he played the playoff on Monday, the fifth, fifth day, 19 holes. He won. That was a historic, it may be the last one Tiger Woods ever has. And I can say, can I say Steve paid for it? No, I can say walking with God opens the door to things that you have no idea what God can do. But you don't get there one moment at a time. You have to walk with God to get there. That's a great story. My story was I gave my social security number and then my credit went down the tank and there were seven Eric Reeds in Houston all of a sudden. And I, I so that's a different story, but that's because I wasn't walking with God. No, that's an amazing story. And that's, that's awesome. The question is, if, if God loves us, if he made us to walk with him, if, if he wants us to walk with him and we try to walk with him, I don't know about you, but raise your hand if you found like you sit down and you start to read the Bible. And you're like, God, I want you to speak to me, but you don't feel like he always speaks to you. Or, or you sit down to pray and your mind is racing a billion places and you're like, okay, Lord. I, okay, wait, wait, wait. Okay, I'll write down. I need to do these. Th- okay, now I'm back to you, Lord. And, it, and it's interrupted, interrupted, interrupted. I mean, do you get frustrated? I mean, that, that's the million dollar question is, in my mind, it shouldn't be that hard if the one that made me desires it, calls me to it, prepares the way for it, then why is it so hard? And there's two things I believe it takes. John Eldridge spotlights these two things. It takes time, and it takes practice. And I love what he says. He says, name one thing in life that is really, really noble and noteworthy and worthwhile that doesn't take time and practice. Sure, we'd all love to be able to play the guitar. I know my wife would be appreciative if I could write a song for her and sing it, but I never took the time and I never took the practice to do so. We'd all love to do lots of things, whether it's speak another language, gain a new skill, advance in our company with some new abilities and licensing. And so what if we began to simply take the time to practice? And so when it's all said and done, we have a choice to make. Will we trust that God loves us? And I believe the cross and the empty tomb are evidence of that alone. If that's the only evidence we had, it's enough. Amen? Amen. It's enough. There's more evidence than that, but if that was it, alone and he desire we either have to believe that or we just say god i'm going to soldier on alone i'll be alone on this ball of dust zan through the cosmos and i'll figure it all out myself and i'll make my life what it needs to be and in a very real sense you know i'll be the i'll be like ann rand i'll be like you know some strong rugged individual and that's going to be what it is i love this That's not how God wants to leave us, though. And Eldridge says, God has something in mind. In other words, it's hard. It takes time and practice. But he's deeply, personally, and what's the word Eldridge uses? Committed. He's committed to restoring humanity, to restoring you, restoring me. He had a specific man or woman in mind when he made you, hopefully a man in mind when he made you, by bringing you back to himself through the work of Jesus Christ. He has established a relationship with you, and now he is up 
to restoring you. In 2001, I had a crisis reading this book with a group of men. And here was my crisis, and I'll abbreviate it because I think I'm a little over at this point. I read the last couple of chapters there in the book, and Eldridge tells a story about how God intervened. And then I hear Steve's story, and I hear this, wow, man, it's Tory Pines, and that's amazing. And I, and I had friends, and I would pray for them in a crisis for healing or for a child, like a friend that had been trying to have a kid, and they had a kid. Like literally the, the next month after I laid hands and prayed, no, God called me to do that. But in my mind, I always wondered this. Why is it so hard to trust God for myself and so easy for me to trust God for someone else? Why? Why do I believe that if I pray for Rob, God, is, God loves Rob so much, and I have no doubt in my mind that God loves you. Whatever you're going through, whatever you, you know, I know that in my heart. I believe that all the way to the core of my being. But when I wake up and I look in the mirror, I don't feel that way. I really don't. And I don't. And so, as I struggled, I want to give you a couple of verses. And these aren't in the book, but, but I just want to give them to you. Three verses. There are about 20 verses that God led me to. But these three verses, in 2001, God began to use to change the way I thought about His thoughts about me personally. John 10.10, 10, A thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I've come that they may have life and have it in abundance. Philippians 1.6, I'm sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to the completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Revelation 21.5, which is one of my favorites, then the one seated on the throne said, look, I am making what new? I'm a subset of that, dude. I am a subset of everything. If he's making everything new, he's got me. He's got it. He's got my marriage. He's got my career, he's got my parenting, he's got my friendships, he's got my purity, he's got, he's got it all. He said, write these words down because they are faithful and true. Not that all of God's words aren't faithful and true, but if he says, hey, write this down, this is faithful and true, I'm making all things new. We can take that to the bank. We can take it to the bank. I'll conclude with a quote from Spurgeon. He says, we can't always trace God's hand, but we can always trust God's heart. And I just, my prayer for y'all this morning as we go to table time is that you would embrace this truth, that you can trust God's heart even when it doesn't make any sense today. You can trust His heart. You can walk with Him. He wants to walk with you. And that's the journey we're on this summer. Thank you for joining us on this week's podcast. We hope you can join us in person. We meet Thursday mornings at 6.30 a.m. in the Garden Room of Houston's First Baptist Church. For more details and to register, you can visit us on the web at warriorsheart.org. That's warriorsheart.org. Have a great day.